Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Hans Donkers, founder and CEO of Jigsaw. Hans, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Al. Yourself? Doing real well. Now, it's April 9th, 2020. We have COVID-19 going on. You, know, you there are outside of Brussels. How's everything going for you and your country people? It's a big challenge, but I guess that's the same for you guys there in the US and, and many other people all over the globe. Yeah, it, it is a obviously wild time. It's different. And the focus on people, particularly those people who are struggling, worried about mm. their jobs. And we in this people on Lixfield are leading the charge in terms of providing insight to leaders on how best for them to prepare and take appropriate action. So can you explain a little bit about your background in this space and what you all do there at Jigsaw? Yeah, sure. Well, as you said, one could say that it's almost a great momentum for people in people analytics because what we at Jigsaw, like other colleagues in the space, are trying to do is allow managers, leaders take better people decisions and help them to focus on the issues that matter and focus mainly on the people who need it. And I guess nowadays in, in COVID-19 times, that's really the challenge. Are we doing the right things? But most importantly, are we helping the people who most need our help? Yeah, just so everyone knows, for those who don't know you, you mind introducing them about your background? I mean, just to see this, you have a doctorate in applied ethics. And so you're uniquely suited to talk about the ethical nature of collecting and analyzing people data. Yeah. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So with COVID, but also perhaps you know that recently there was this EU-wide paper written by Ursula von der Leyen on artificial intelligence and trying to, to describe the dangers, but also the possibilities of using AI, especially related to people. And I guess we're now really confronted with both the constraints and the possibilities. And a lot of discussion is going on about can we track people's behavior, movements in order to prevent them to become sick or even more, you know, to create this herd immunity. And, and I have a background, as you said, in applied ethics. And during my PhD research, I was doing a lot of thinking and writing on the ethics of public health. So to what oh, extent... Wow. Can a government interfere with people's lives if it's for the greater good, let's say, as opposed to our liberal rights, freedom, uh, non-intervention? So I think we're really on, on the edge of that. Given what you're saying, we have this notion in people analytics that we have all this data, we just have to analyze it. And the underlying assumption there is that we have the appropriate data in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so what's your position, and not only your position personally, but there at Jigsaw on either acquiring more appropriate mm -hmm. data or creating more appropriate data to answer the questions leaders want or need to know, particularly at this juncture, given everything that's going on? Yeah, well, we try to first really utilize the data that is present in an organization. We don't go scraping the web. We don't go collecting new private data. What I always say to HR leaders is that they're sitting on a gold mine of data and the insights are there for the taking. But Excel sheets won't do the work. You need a bit more advanced techniques to do it. But I, I, I think and I, I see from our own experience that already with the data 
present in organizations, you can do so much. Mm -hmm. So before jumping to, you know, all the wearables and the apps and, and, and try to really collect very specific private information, I'd say we have to start with the data that is available and that was collected in normal times with informed consent by people yep. and not use this crisis to, to suddenly ignore all the previous agreements on that. Right. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, again, I, I love the way you're weaving in the ethical perspective mm -hmm. all the time. It sounds like it is pervasive in the way you think for obvious reasons. With that in mind, just to translate what you're saying in, in words that I hear within the people analytics community specifically, is that data are assets and most organizations are mm -hmm. underutilizing and or underappreciating those assets. Is that how you view it as well? Definitely, definitely. And, you know, from just having the data to having actionable, actionable insights, there's a whole value chain. Mm -hmm. And certain stages in that value chain are just tough. I often say, you know, we do the dirty work and we do the difficult work. Let them do the real work. And the real work is, is, is helping people to perform, to thrive, creating the, work, the right work conditions. The dirty work is getting those data out of all those different systems. And by the way, we, we don't only use HR systems. We also use business performance and financial data sources because we want to combine them. But that's, that's really a, a dirty job. And someone's got to do it, and, and we love doing it. But we also do you know, the, the difficult work. Amongst our founders, there's PhD in, math, in, in mathematics, in, in computing. We even have a PhD in particle physics. So, you know... The, typically those, those whiz, the smart balls, and they, they do the difficult work because extracting, collecting, cleaning the data is not enough. Then it's still data. What's mm -hmm. needed is, is, is really advanced analytics to, to transform those data into actionable knowledge. And with that, then HR folks, business leaders can, can do the, the real work. I'm sure you run up against this all the time. First off, not many organizations, if any, have a PhD in particle physics, math, and applied mm -hmm. ethics roaming around the halls. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, you all have done something special that's unique, that's also uniquely valuable, that if they did that internally, might either cost too much. It also might be the case where even if they were able to stand it up, how the, do they maintain and enhance Absolutely. it over time? Yeah. So what's, it sounds like, you know, what's your core value proposition? Why do they work with you and Jigsaw team versus trying to go at it with internal solutions as many continually struggle to do? Yeah, sure. And, and, and I see the whole space evolving and it's the whole buyer build question, right? And there's good reasons for building it yourself, especially large corporations want to have that capability in-house. They have large BI teams and expand it to the HR space. Our typical customer is a mid-sized company and put the resources in it. They don't want to establish that internal team knowing what it costs, the time it'll take, the internal governance. That's one thing. But also analyzing your own data can create a lot of biases. And so there's a lot of value in, in using proven algorithms, knowing that we always also have to do some feature engineering. It's not just plug and play. Every situation, every context is different. Every working environment is different. So, but at least you have a good starting point to quickly and accurately analyze those data. 
Uh, yeah, so having that in-house is a difficult thing. Absolutely, it's difficult. And it's also the case, going back to the notion of ethics, you, you can be ethical from one perspective at one point in time, but you have to continually calibrate your algorithms mm. off and also be mindful of the data that's being added. Yeah. So that's yeah. something that you provide as well, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Even even before here, the, the white paper on artificial intelligence, we have this task force with other people in the sector on you know, ethics of HR tech. And I like to refer to, you know, the, the, the guys of FETML, you know, FET machine learning, being fair, accountable and transparent. And I mm -hmm. think that already brings us a, a long way. But indeed, as you say, it's supervised learning, engineering, re-engineering all the time, taking out bi biases. Yeah, that's, that's what we can do because we have multiple data sets because we can test and retest and, and refine. So you have all this data and you've applied an ethical lens to it and you're now creating projections or predictions and potentially even prescribing ways mm -hmm. forward. And you have some clear distinctions there. Do you want to speak to how you look at your more yeah. advanced analytics like that? I would love to. And I have to say, again, bringing in the ethical aspect, there's arguments in favor and, and, and against, but I'm sure we can elaborate on that as well. Well, one, one case is, is something that's very relevant nowadays, even, I mean, and regardless of, of COVID, is absenteeism. At least here in Europe, Western Europe, absenteeism, burnout, stress. I mean, it's a huge problem for every large organization. And the companies we meet, they, they all have established or deployed one or more policy intervention countermeasure like corporate fitness centers, burnout workshops, employee assistance programs, etc. And each and every one of them is saying that they're not really sure whether it works. And if you look at the metrics, we can, we can be quite sure that it doesn't work. And it's a bit like, like what used to be the standard in marketing, you know, mass marketing, everyone the same message, and hopefully we will reach someone. But if you talk about absenteeism, people falling ill, you need to target and you need to tailor. And based on historical data in HR systems, we've developed algorithms that are capable of identifying people at risks and predicting trends. But not only that, also the prescriptive analysis where we highlight the relevant features, the predictors, allowing HR people to intervene in an appropriate way. Mm. You know, pushing the right buttons with the right people. And some would say that that might be a bridge too far and, and wonder whether it's ethical. A counter argument could be, is it ethical doing things that don't help people? Because in the end, no one wants to become sick. Even yeah. we, we have a good social security here in, in Western Europe and you get paid if you're sick. Everyone's well insured, but no one, no one really wants it. So preventing absence, I think, is, is a good thing to do. And it's a responsibility of an employer to do everything that's possible to prevent people from falling sick. Let's stay with that a little bit, because one of the struggles that I've seen here in the States in particular is that, okay, you might generate insight around absenteeism. However, I might be ill-equipped to take action to improve that metric. And in other words, it's not hitting the right audience to create systematic change that's going to stick. So the question is this, 
who would you advocate consume that insight to take appropriate action? Because we're seeing new levels of governance, particularly in response to COVID-19, where people analytics in particular is providing insight to a governance body or steering committee or task force consisting of facilities, consisting of legal operations, finance, IT. It's it's more frequent and it's broader in, in scope. So are you seeing the same thing in Europe? And would you advocate that type of action with that governance body persist? We only look at it at the company level, but it would be interesting to extrapolate those insights to a larger community, to a nation, although then our data scientists would say, oh, hold on, uh, hold your horses. Uh, you can't just do that. We don't have the data for that. But so looking at it at the, at the, at the company perspective, there's on the one hand, the very short-term, almost individual tailored intervention. If you were part of, 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 of one of our customers' organization, I would perhaps be able to see that you run a high risk of becoming sick. And I know it has to do with the commuting time or with the constellation of your team and the role of the manager and and elements like that. So that as an an HR business partner, for instance, would allow me to really intervene in the right way and take away those causes of, of, of you becoming sick. In a more long-term perspective, it would help me as an HR manager to put in place the right strategy, the right policies, the right countermeasures to make my workforce more healthy and as a consequence, more productive. And then the C-suite is also happy because what they want is a productive workforce. So there is intervention possible at different levels and, and, and multiple stakeholders. So you don't want to be sick. The HR manager wants to take data-driven, validated action, and the C-suite wants to see the results in the bottom line and might also be very concerned with the employee's happiness. Yeah. And it sounds like in your answer there that, and I'll just ask a pointed question around those clients that you have that are using your tool and the insights that you're generating, not only tool, but processes and, and thought leadership, using it in ways that are actually driving positive change that's measurable. Among those organizations, particularly given that you're collecting operational finance and other data, I imagine it's not just HR consuming that, it's a broad broader you know, group. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement. And thanks for the question, because more often than not, it's actually a business leader or someone who, mm-hmm. who is accountable or responsible for a PL, who is, let's say, the buyer who feels the pain every single day and who wants a solution. Definitely, it's, it, it goes well beyond HR. Yeah. And again, I, I want to stay with this point for a minute because there's you know, a variety of individuals and firms among them, McKinsey and Willard Towers Watson and Josh Burson, who are talking about the need for new management models. Mm-hmm. And with COVID-19, again, these task forces are getting spun up and the contention that's being floated around is, hey, these task forces might actually drive new management models, new ways of communicating at executive levels to not only formulate strategy, but to manage strategy Mm. on an ongoing basis. And if that's true, then the insight that they use to drive that change has to be cross 
disciplinary. It can't just be Absolutely. a financial report, not just an HR report. It has to be brought together. So my question as we go forward, do you see that becoming the norm that there are these integrated platforms, which again, from my two cents, my perspective, have been kind of a nice to have, oh, we'll get to it, you know, eventually it's on our roadmap versus no, this is something now that we need that's mission critical because the world is moving, you know, so fast. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. From a technical perspective and, you know, IT architecture wise, business architecture, uh, it's probably not going to happen that fast, but we do need a more systemic view on be it a nation, a community or a community at work, as we call it, an organization, we need a more systemic view because we know that just a narrow, narrow focus on HR metrics only reveals a small part of reality. And the same goes for, for financial data. So I think the, the visionary leaders that I encounter already take that systemic approach. But they, they, often they, they just follow their intuition or a few deep convictions. I think we can help them by adding to that some data because in the end, I don't, want, I don't think we need to go towards uh, automated decision-making you know, where the machine will tell you what to do. I always say the last mile in decision-making should be done by a human, but all the miles before that it's better done by machines. So what I'm hearing you say is that the organizations that are successful that you work with, they've taken what I would call a process-centric approach, meaning having the discussions in the first place, getting the right people in the room, and then you come in and help automate that, have them move faster with heightened levels of insight. Again, is that a fair way to yeah. play it? Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think what you mean is on the starting point is not just running the data machine. It's really getting the right people in the room, identifying the right business challenges, making a number of assumptions, because you can't just put the data in the machine and wait for stuff to come out. And you need you need to make some 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 assumptions about what could be at stake. So the right people in the room, defining the right business issues, and then mining the data for insights on that yeah. and always checking and validating with those people because they don't have to be, they, they should not only be in the room at the beginning, they should be in the room all the time. And we have regular meetings with these task forces to validate, to tweak. So yeah, here we are in April, approaching mid-April 2020. You know, the world is crazy right now. There's a high level of uncertainty and we all know that we're going to come through this. We don't know if it's going to be three weeks from now, three months from now, or, or longer, but there is going to you know, be an exit and then a movement to a new normal, whatever that looks mm -hmm. like. It's also the case, given this, that organizations are just trying to study themselves while still position themselves for future success. So my question to you is, why would a leadership team prioritize you and Jigsaw in the midst of all this, you know, external challenge? You know, I have my own answer to this, but I'm very interested as our listeners are in your, you know, answer given your value proposition. Well, because they want to be there. They're going for the long run. They want to have sustainable success both on a business level and a human level. 
I mean, at, at the most philosophical level, we say we want to help organizations to become more adaptive and more human-centric mm. in order to thrive. And if you want to be adaptive and human-centric, then you need to have the right information. You need to monitor. I see a lot of our, our customers. I am also the co-owner of another consultancy firm. I see a lot of those organizations struggling now because they were in the command and control mode, sitting next to their people, knowing what they were doing, and really relying on those operational managers to know what's going on and to control things. If you say the new normal, I think the new normal will be something very opposite of that. And so in that new normal, you need to have a radar, you need to have a pulse with what's going on in your organization real time. And you can't just rely on those individuals being there, feeling, knowing what's going on. So we need something else there. If I, again, play that back, in the absence of that, leaders are guessing it's probably just not a responsible way to proceed and it's incurring too much risk. Again, that's my assertion, but yeah, how do you view that? How else would leaders be making decisions, particularly given to your point, you know, how many people are working remotely? Where are they physically? How are they thinking and feeling? And not just having a discrete survey, for example, that there's true, you know, what does it mean that that context? And that's something to provide, yeah? Yeah, and you could use a survey, but often, I mean, there's a whole science about good surveys and people not always are not always very straightforward in their answers, nor do they actually have have the self-knowledge to respond accurately. And what we've learned is that by using multiple, multiple data points, you can actually describe much better what's going on, who's doing well, who isn't. By analyzing those data more earlier in the process than people can themselves. I know that sounds a bit sci-fi, but that's, but that's the case. Now, I, for me, you know, I, we're not only drinking the Kool-Aid, as we say here in the States, but we're, we're making the Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that was not an earthquake. That was just me hitting <laughs> my, my device here. The thing I want to come back to, which is, I think, really a point of emphasis, is that okay, we can have data. So many companies and individual leaders are taking what I would call a data-centric approach. They're saying, mm-hmm. okay, if I'm going to do people analytics, I'm going to just get a tool that's going to do the math, that is going to produce a report, a dashboard, some night, and I'm going to consume it and you know do whatever with it. However, you know, to, to apply the ethics, to be aware of what data can be added that would add additional context takes the experience and knowledge of trained researchers, uh, trained mm-hmm. data architects and so forth. And, and that's what you all provide. Is that correct? Yeah. And just consuming data is 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 indeed difficult. And very often, it's, it's, it's our own data scientists who tell me, hold on, you can't just say that. There is more context to it, and we need to put some nuance to it. And so next to, as you say, indeed, providing the user interface and the dashboard and the message feed, and I mean, we have a whole user interface where you could consume the data, and we, we already try in that user interface to do some storytelling with it and to, to give context to it. For instance, in our message feed, we so in addition to, to, to the graphs, the heat maps, the risk maps, we actually add comments and add advice 
on how to interpret it and, and what to do with it. And on top of that, in interacting with our customers, we help them in understanding the data science and the outcomes of it and how to apply it. So what I'm hearing is that you automate some of the insight and even then you can add some language that would provide some additional context and coaching. And you're also yeah. like a consultative yeah. approach yeah. where you can help yeah. form that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other way around, Al, because we might say, wow, this team is really uh, not doing well. Everyone's leaving. And so our simple conclusion could be, wow, that manager is underperforming because all the people who are leaving are reporting into that same manager. But we don't, we, we perhaps we don't know about the reorganization that's going on or tough times for a specific team, a big challenge. So you, we also need that context. I mean, we're not the oracles. We're, we're not, we don't know everything. We have the data, they have the knowledge of the business and the context, and it's so crucial to bring that together. None of the two parties have, you know, the whole picture. And it sounds like the quality of that communication, the quality of that partnership in the, at the end of the day means a lot. You know, if, it, if that gets compromised and the level of insight gets compromised and the ability to facilitate appropriate change downstream gets yeah. compromised. Is yeah. that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Two more questions before we wrap here. And the first one is around the notion of people data for good and, mm. and the ethical responsibility we have. And the tag on question is really about where we're going with all of this, because again, we're in a crisis state, you know, we're, we're accepting of the fact that we're in a crisis state. Many organizations, particularly mid-sized companies are just thinking about how to survive through this period. That being said, if we do not use data-based insight to inform our decisions moving forward, you know, we're, we're guessing. If people are going, oh, I've been doing this for 30 years, I've been through this before, they're, correct me if I'm wrong, fooling themselves. You know, we, yeah. we have a new reality, we have new people with different interests and, and triggers and so forth, and it's incumbent upon us as people, analytics professionals, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. to really stay in curiosity about what's going on with them, where, you know, the pockets of risk are, and, and so forth. So, to bundle both of those questions together, you know, what is your position on you know, the responsibility that we have to use people data and analytics responsibly? And in turn, how is that going to inform how we're going to move forward you know, at an executive level in guiding our yeah. organizations? Yeah. Well, you're right. We can't just guess. And to make the link with what's going on currently, uh, there's a lot of governments guessing. I'm guessing this virus will disappear. I'm guessing it won't. Uh, I'm <laughs> guessing a lockdown will work. I'm guessing it won't. And, and yeah. we, lack, we lack the knowledge. Uh, all epidemiologists also I mean, are, are looking for answers because this is the black swan. So ignoring for a, for a moment the black swan, uh, we can't just guess. If we have the data available, if, we, if, if the potential knowledge and insights are there, we have to use them. Otherwise, we're just mismanaging. We're not taking up our responsibility. So I fully agree yeah. with you. On the other hand, black swans, I mean, with our algorithms, we're predicting trends, risks in the coming three months, let's say, based on, and let's be honest, on historical data sets. Huh? Our algorithms are trained on data from the past and retrained, etc. But they can't predict black swans. We were having today a discussion with the data scientists about, you know, business exploration, and, and it was one of the topics. Could we develop something like that? Probably you can't. But then also, 
in doing some scenario planning for the future, because that's the other responsibility. On the one hand, we, we have what we know. On the other hand, there is a lot of unknown. How do we prepare for that unknown? There again, you need data, you need trends. You need to find as much information as possible. Otherwise, you're guessing again, and you can't mm -hmm. guess twice. Then the odds of being wrong are very high. Yeah, I, I I love what you said so much. I can't. I, I got chills. I did. <laughs> and because the key theme, and when we talk about predictive analytics, there's an underlying assumption that we, and even prescriptive, that we are offering up certainty. If you do mm -hmm. A, if A exists and we do B, then C is going to ensue. And we all know that that's not going to happen. However, I don't believe we've socialized the reality enough that, hey, we're just talking about probabilities at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And if we're using insight properly, we're increasing the level of confidence. We have a higher level of probability that the decisions we take mm -hmm. and the situation that it exists is, is truly, in fact, you know, going mm -hmm. to materialize. Is that how you view it as well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we're not the visionaries. We, I mean, don't give the company keys to the data scientists. Yeah. <laughs> no, please, please don't. <laughs> There's a meme in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't hand them to HR people either. Huh? Uh, put multiple people meme. in the room. Yeah. <laughs> oh, put multiple people in the room. There's this, as I said, there's this gold mine not being used. It's there for the taking. Let's do it. Why? Because as in your baseline, although I don't see it on the poster behind you now, people create a better working environment by using the data. And in the end of the day, that's not only our responsibility, but as business leader, that's also what you want because that's your guarantee for future sustainable success. So it's just a smart decision. It's not a dogma. It's if you're wise, then you consult multiple sources and people analytics, it's definitely one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Honda, I, I love your energy. I love your ideas. Congratulations on what you have achieved there at Jigsaw. And how can listeners learn more about you and Jigsaw? I invite them to, to reach out. Always happy to have a chat. It will be virtual in the coming weeks during the lockdown. But I mean, I feel your energy as well. So we're thousands of kilometers away from each other. They can send me an email on hans.donkers with CK, D-O-N-C-K-E-R-S at Jigso, that's J-I-G-S-O.com or look me up on LinkedIn or any other channel. I'm sure we will find each other in this virtual world. Absolutely. Well, again, always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for sharing your perspectives and uh, all the best Thanks moving for forward. You. Stay safe. Yeah, take care. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.